Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this beautiful day. Uh, thanks, for a, thanks for the rain, but thanks for a break from the rain. Um, it's good to be together. We pray that as uh, we look at this passage one more time today, the parable of the lost son, we pray that you would speak to us the word that we need to hear. We believe that uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you can uh, speak to us directly, just what we need to hear. So we, we ask that you would do that, and we pray that uh, it may not just be information, but that you will transform us through the hearing of your word and the meditations in my heart. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to read for the last time, um, at least for this series, of verses 1 through 10, in this great chapter of Luke, where we find these three parables we've been looking at the last four weeks. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Those were the people on the outside, uh, the non-religious people. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, of course, just to recap, they had problems with Jesus eating with people that they considered unclean and outside of the love of God. Now, Jesus sees right away, you don't know who God is. Your, your image of God is all wrong. So let me, let me tell you what God is like. And he gives us three parables. God is like a shepherd. So Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses just one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents or who knows that they're lost than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent or who think that they don't need to repent is really what he's saying. Or think of God in this way. This is what God is like. A woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner or one lost person who repents. And then, I'm not going to read it, but he goes into the parable of the prodigal son that we've looked at uh, so many times over the last four weeks. So this is the last message in this sermon in this sermon series on this great, really the great parable, or all, all three parables of uh, Luke chapter 15. And I said at the very beginning of this series that, you know, this is such a loved parable, and so many people know it, both really inside the church and outside the church, this parable is known, um, because it touches our hearts really deeply. 
it gives us, Jesus paints us this picture of who God is. And for many people, it's a surprising picture. And for many people, it paints a picture of a God of love, of love that many of us have a hard time really believing that God is really like this. Um, and I think the best picture that in the, this whole uh, chapter is the one that, of course, we looked at last week of this lost son returning home, exhausted, weary, really worn out and lost. I love Rembrandt's uh, painting of of how just emaciated and, and tired and weary the son looks as he's being um, loved by his father. And like I said last week, it could be a father or a mother. Jesus uses the father image in this, but it can be either one. God transcends uh, human sexuality and gender. But this son is at the end of his rope, right? And he's come to his senses, as it says, in the scriptures, and he realizes that he is really lost in every way. Hungry, tired, confused, and so he comes home. And he realizes that he made a big mistake, (laughs) right? Leaving uh, home, the love of the father, wanting to live life on his own. And so he comes home. And so here is the picture I want us all to remember of, from this parable. And that is this right here. And on the cover of your bulletin. I encourage you to take your bulletin home and keep that, frame it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Susie Skugstad made, uh, I think just, I just, the more I look at it, the more I like it. Of course, Susie's in our congregation and is an artist. It just, it speaks so clearly of who God is and really who we are. And that's what we're going to look at somewhat today. Um, But this is the picture that Jesus paints of who God is. It's this, this father who embraces us and holds us. And as it said in the parable, kisses us, not once, but over and over, the verb tense, over and over and over and over again when this bratty little kid comes home. You know what I think this is a picture of? I think it's a picture of the spiritual life. Life with Christ. Yeah, if we could just live here all the time, right? Knowing that we're loved like this and living our lives out from that embrace of the Father. Different way to live life, huh? Instead of trying to earn life by performing and doing all these different things that we do to make ourselves lovable, uh, just rest in this love. You know, and my spiritual, or my small group this 
week we talked about, wow, if we could just stay there, you know, and be so in touch with the love of God, that this is what God wants for us. And how do we do that? There's many different things we can do, and maybe we'll have a series on that, how to live in the embrace. A lot of it is through spiritual disciplines of, of reading scripture and being in prayer, meditating. And this is what I mean. Take that, that cover, bulletin cover, and use your imagination in your walk with God and just imagine being embraced by the Father. Wow, when that happens, we are changed. So many things we can do, but perhaps... The most important is to be around people who love us like this. That's what the church is supposed to be. <laughs> We're supposed to love each other as, as God has loved us. And most often I have found the love of God becomes most real, really, when we are experiencing love from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, when we hit those hard times in life and we feel like this lost son, have you ever felt the embrace of the church? That's what we're supposed to do to one another. Love each other like this. And so today I want to just finish up by saying, you know, looking at the church and what this parable, what kind of implications it has for us as the body of Christ in this little corner of the world. And what does God want us to experience in the church? And what have we experienced? Because God wants us to experience grace, which we see all over these parables, individually, but also God wants us to experience it as a community, of faith. So that when we come here on Sunday or whenever we gather, we are loved. And we're celebrated. And there's much rejoicing. <laughs> it's a great picture of the church. I, I call it a fellowship of grace a community of grace, a fellowship where people know they are loved not because they're good people or because they perform, not because they follow all the rules, but because they realize they're lost people who have been found by the shepherd, by the searching God. Right? Remember, as we look at this, the key to understanding this parable is found in the first two verses, and we've talked about this a lot, but I'm going to say it again. The religious people, the insiders, the people who kept the religious law, devoted their whole life to it, did everything right. I mean, these people did everything right. They prayed, they tithed, and when I say tithe, remember stewardship, tithing is 10% of your income you give to God. They did that, and even went beyond that. They gave more to the poor. All kinds of offerings. So they did all these things that you're supposed to do. They fasted, and they missed the whole point. Because they really didn't know what love was about. 
which is what it's all about. Remember the hokey pokey when I said, what if, what, what, how did I say it? What if the hokey pokey is really what it's all about? No, it's all about love, right? That's what our faith is all about. So these people are bugged because Jesus was hanging around unlovable people in their eyes, the sinners, the outcasts, the rule breakers, the younger sons, the people that uh, weren't good enough to be part of their fellowship. And Jesus is having meals with them. He's socializing with them. He even just doesn't love them. He likes them. (laughs) And they're responding to his message of love and grace. They're the ones that are going, gathering around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees, religious leaders, they're listening to Jesus, but they're trying to just catch him in doing something, saying something wrong so they can get rid of him, which they finally did. But you know what really rattled them? Jesus just wasn't hanging out with these people. He was calling them to be his disciples, to be his followers. He was creating a community of faith that was rooted in grace. And see, this was so radical. Jesus was turning everything upside down because all the the communities of faith, all the religious institutions of the time, they were really based on on following the rules and being really good people and doing everything right, following in the ways of God. And Jesus is saying, no, it's really about experiencing my love and then living life the way that God wants you to live They, the religious people, said, oh no, first you obey God's laws and then God will love you. Big difference, right? And so Jesus is turning everything upside down and he's saying, you know, you are accepted by God, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Wow, that's a big difference, folks. And I hope you heard that loud and clear. You know, it's nothing we can do. Can't earn it. Can't buy it. Can't be good enough. It's just through God's grace, his unmerited favor. And so Jesus is calling together a group of people who had been the outsiders, the spiritual zeros, those people who the religious people were outside of the circle of God's love, And he was calling this group of people to be a new community, a fellowship of grace. And this really is what the church should be. I want to explore this morning how this common experience of grace that we see in these parables um, really form us as a church. The first thing I would say is this This common experience of grace binds us together and unifies us. You know what I love about the church is the church, you get a gathering of people that you never see anywhere else. There are a lot of people from all different walks of life, occupations, races, 
Man, the New Testament church, when Jesus brought it together, oh my gosh. Century, centuries of walls have been built up between two people, between the Jews and the Greeks, and male and female, and slaves and free. And all of a sudden, these people are coming into it. This, this fellowship of grace, and they're being the church together, and they're loving each other. Wow, it, it was a miracle. In fact, one of the reasons the church grew so quickly in the New Testament is people looked at this and they thought, how are these people, how is this possible that these people love each other? Well, I would say it's this common experience of grace. And these parables speak of this, don't they? I mean, what's the theme in these parables? Lost and found. Right? We saw in all three parables. Shepherd has a sheep. One sheep goes off, gets lost. The shepherd goes and looks for it, finds it, puts it around its shoulders and brings it home. You know, this putting it around your shoulders and bringing it home is not, uh, you know, so often when we think of sheep and the, when we hear about Sheep in the Bible, we think, oh, they're such cute little fluffy things and blah, blah, blah. Well, Jesus really is, he's kind of insulting us here. <laughs> he's saying, you know what? You're like stupid sheep because sheep are stupid. <laughs> and it, so it's, it's kind of a spiritual in, insult. He's saying, you get lost really easily. And we looked at this, you know, they get lost by nibbling on food and going from one patch of grass to another until they're lost. They end up on, on cliffs and, you know, dangerous places. And they're not smart animals. And Jesus says, you know, we're like that. We get lost. He loves us, but we get lost. And the only way you can get a sheep home is by putting it on your shoulders and carrying it home and holding the legs tight because they'll get lost again. <laughs> and then he says, you know, he gives this parable of the lost coin. You know, this woman has a coin and she loses it and she turns her house upside down to find it and she just keeps looking and looking and looking. She's persistent until she finds it and God is like a father who had two sons. And one of them goes off and gets totally lost in wild living. The other one stays at home, and we learn in our study of the parable, he was lost too. He was lost in his own self-righteousness and judgmentalism and pride and didn't even realize he was lost. So he's kind of like a stupid sheep in that way too. But we're, all, we're lost. And in the parable of the lost son, remember the father says, we have to celebrate. We have to have this big party because this son of mine was what? Was lost and is found, and then he brings in another, was dead and is alive. So it's this, this theme of lost and found, and this is the common experience of us as Christians. We were lost and through grace have been found been found, we were dead and have found new life. That's our common experience. You know, at the beginning of this series, I said that this parable is a great explanation of the gospel, or in other words, the good news of Christianity. And, and what's sad is we don't hear this good news very much, honestly. 
in the church. I said it earlier. You know, what we hear a lot is sin management. <laughs> Very different from the gospel, the good news. Here is a great definition of the gospel, and this is what unites us. This is our common experience for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers. Here it is. You are more lost than you would ever want to believe or admit, but more loved, more valued than you could ever possibly imagine. That's the message of the gospel. You want to hear it again? Remember this. This is a great definition. It, it's kind of the essence of the gospel, the good news. You are more lost than you would ever want to believe, but more loved, more valued than you could ever possibly imagine. So two parts. The first one is kind of salty. The second one is very comforting. The first one says we are lost. And we saw in these parables all the different kinds of lostness. We saw in the, the younger and older son the lostness of being really bad. We saw in the older son the lostness of being really good. <laughs> I'd rather be really bad, I think. <laughs> yeah, we saw the lostness in the sheep. You know, there's so many different types, types of lostness. You know, we come to the end of our own resources. We're just, we're just, we realize we need a power bigger than ourselves to live life. We... We do something, and, and for the first time, we come and we see, wow, I'm broken. I want I to do this, but I can't quite do it. I want to be more loving, but I can't quite do it on my own power. Remember, I, I've said before that, you know, this word sin, we've got to find a new word because we just, our modern ears don't want to hear it. Since the Enlightenment, we don't want to hear this, but I, I just want to say, it's really freeing to admit that you're not perfect. I think, you know, sin, really the most common word for sin in the New Testament is, is it's a picture of somebody taking a bow and arrow and shooting for a bullseye and it ah, just misses the bullseye. We just miss. It's not saying you're a dirty, rotten person. You just can't, you can't be the person you that God has really created you to be on your own power. You fall short. And so the Bible is very clear about this. We're lost. From, man, from first page to the last page. Almost. And we need to be rescued. We need something bigger than ourselves to help us in life. We can't save ourselves you know, I know it's not popular. I'm not naive. But it's hard for me to understand how people deny this. I mean, just read the first few pages of the New York Times. Right? Oh, man, we've taken this earth, this beautiful earth creation that God has given to us, and out of greed and, you know, all the rest, we're destroying it. I, man, this is, for me, this is the the issue of our age, and I get so frustrated because I think, why aren't we doing anything? <laughs> why aren't I doing anything? <laughs> I do my little things, but, ah, oh, it's existential. 
or you read about how people treat each other, you know, all the rest, or just look deeply in your own heart. We all know, don't we, in our honest moments? There's darkness in there. We need help. I love G.K. Chesterton. You know, he was an English writer, theologian, apologist, thinker. In the London Times, he was British. The London Times asked him and other great thinkers of the time to write articles and sending it into the paper about what's wrong with the world. And here was his reply. Dear sir, regarding your article, what is wrong with the world? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. You know, it's really freeing to come to that point. And see, you know, I, I, I kind of said this is bad news, good news. You know, we're, we're lost, but we're loved. I think even the first one is really good news. And when we admit it, man, there's a freedom in our lives. To just admit, I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. It's okay, because God loves me. So the penultimate word is you're lost. The ultimate word is you are loved. You are more valued. You are more loved than you could ever imagine. And we saw that this in all three of the parables, right? If there's one message we're getting, you matter. You're valuable to God. You matter to God. God rejoices when you come home. He throws a big party. Man, the sheep, the sun, the coin. That's the great, that's the great news. And you know, when you hear the first word and you admit that, and then in that honesty, in your uh, true self, you come to God and you know your love for that true self, not for your pretend self. That is why we have joy. (laughs) We're loved for who we are as imperfect people. And see, the problem is the church has sometimes spent way too much time on the first word, especially when it comes to other people (laughs) or groups of people. And this is what's so sad about the church right now. We are known as what we're against, and how we think other people are so bad with what they do. (laughs) We need a little more G.K. Chesterton in us. But wow, this is where we want to live. We are loved, we are valued, and we're broken. But going back to how grace unites us, well, it's this shared experience. We've been lost and we're found, We've had this somewhat humbling experience of admitting our lostness and our need for a Savior that binds our hearts together. That's it. And you know what? This is such a powerful experience that it trumps all the other experiences where we find identity. You know, this is our primary identity as Christians. We're lost and found. Not Republicans, not Democrats. Not because I attended a certain school. Not because 
I'm really successful, I'm in a certain socioeconomic class, not because of where I live. This experience of being lost and found is such a powerful experience that it trumps all those others. When we really experience, when the, dawn, when the, the truth of the gospel that I just explained really dawns on us, it changes our lives. And it's powerful. And it transforms us. And it unites us. You know, think of it this way. My, my dad was a Pearl Harbor survivor. You know, one night he was partying with his buddies. He's early 20s. He's in Hawaii. He's from Montana. And it's December. And there's palm trees. And it's warm. And he, he thought, man, I've died and gone to paradise. And then Pearl Harbor happens. And the next morning he's stacking his his buddies' bodies. Now, that experience defined him for the rest of his life. That was his identity. He had the, the uh, license plate holder, Pearl Harbor survivor. <laughs> he had a hat, Pearl Harbor survivor. He'd go to reunions, of which they're almost coming to an end because there are such few left. But he would go to those reunions, and when he met these other guys, there was a bond. They had a life and death experience, and it bonded them together. He didn't care whether those guys were Republicans or Democrats or what race they were, anything. It's that they went through this experience together, you see. So this shared experience unites us. The shared experience also helps us to treat one another with, with grace. I want to, you know, there's a, a story earlier in the, the passage in the Gospel of Luke about a woman who, while Jesus is at uh, the house of another Pharisee, it's another uh, one of these experiences where Jesus comes into conflict with a, a Pharisee. And this guy has him over to really to talk to him and to check out his orthodoxy and see if he's okay theologically. And so all these people are around talking theology and they're asking Jesus questions, maybe to entrap him. And here in walks this woman and runs to Jesus and gets this expensive perfume and breaks it over his feet and she begins to just kiss his feet over and over and over and over again. And the tear, her tears wash his feet. And of course, all these people are just shocked. Now, she is one of these outsiders. They're known in the community as one of the sinners. And so the Pharisees, Simon, the Pharisee who's hosting Jesus for dinner, thinks to himself, oh, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I, I know what you're thinking in your heart. Can I just tell you that when I got here, you didn't give me oil for my head. You didn't wash my feet as is customary in the Middle East. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't show me any kind of love. And yet this woman, Simon, do you see this woman? She comes in and she hasn't stopped loving me. And what we think is that she had 
a previous experience with Jesus where he forgave her and said, you're a new person. You matter so much to God. And this experience of grace has changed her. And she said, Simon, do you see that? He said, Simon, do you see this woman? She came here and she has not stopped kissing my feet and her tears are washing and cleaning my feet. Simon, do you get this? And then he says this amazing truth. Simon, you know what? Those who have been forgiven much love much. Isn't that great? Those who have been forgiven much love much. Simon, because this woman has experienced grace, oh, her heart is full of love. And see, I think this is what enables us to love each other. And I, I know we look at the love of the Father and we think we could never love that way. Well, I want to say this, that our capacity to love should grow when we experience grace. We have been treated with this amazing, forgiving, generous love. How can we not love each other? How, can't we, how can we not be patient with annoying people? Or people that bug us? Or people that are weird? We're all weird. We all bug other people. But see this experience of grace. It says, you know, I have been loved. I'm imperfect. I can be a little more patient with that person. I can give them a little slack because I've been given a lot of slack. Do you see that? I think it's true. We can forgive a little easier. Forgiveness is always hard. But boy, when we know we have been forgiven, remember that parable of the unmerciful servant who, who's been forgiven this big debt and then he walks outside. He's just been treated with grace by the, the king. And then he walks outside and he sees this, this uh, other servant who owes him like 20 bucks. This guy has just been forgiven like a million dollars. And he sees this servant, pay me what you owe me, grabs him by the neck. I love that parable. <laughs> and Jesus says, wow, you know, you just haven't realized what you've been forgiven. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this. The church should be a place full of love and grace. I hope for our church. This is my prayer, that we'd be rooted in grace. I've often, you've probably heard it, the church is not a museum for faint saints, it's a hospital for sinners. We don't know who said that. It goes all the way from Dear Abby to St. Augustine. I don't know who it is. You find these things on the internet, and who knows where it started. It's like the one, you know, never trust anything you read on the internet is attributed to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I'll close with this. I, I hope we're a hospital for sinners. Because a museum for saints sounds really stiff and boring. Bunch of perfect pieces of art. No. The church is for broken people.
who've come to the point where they've admitted they're broken and know they're loved. And the church should be a place where we are being healed by the love of our brothers and sisters and the love of God. Boy, wouldn't you want to be a member of a church like that? I want to be a member of a church like that. People give me a little slack. Don't expect me to be perfect. Amen? Amen. God, thank you for the gospel. This truth that tells us, you know, we're broken, but we're loved. We're imperfect, but we're loved by a perfect God with perfect love who values us beyond anything we could ever imagine. God, may we be a church. I pray that we would be a church where grace abounds, where we would individually know the grace that you have given to us, that you want us to experience, that we would freely give it to others. May it be so. Amen.